welcome, welcome to Centerpoint and uh, our School of Theology. And tonight uh, we're going to talk about the resurrection. Um, let me let me say something and pray and then start. But um, th- there is a, there is an aspect uh, of uh, what we're talking about uh, that takes place between death and resurrection, and that's there's a there's a, the Bible talks about a preliminary judgment and a final judgment. I think, uh, and we're 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 passing over the preliminary judgment in the intermediate state, and we'll come back to that when we talk about judgment next week. Uh, so we're, we're moving now right through the intermediate state to the second coming of Christ and the resurrection that will accompany uh, that. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you Uh, as we consider that the night is far gone and the day is at hand, that we live in the uh, point between the first and second comings of our Lord Jesus, identified to us in Scripture as the last days, and that the next great redemptive event is the coming of our Lord in power and glory. And we pray that we might be given grace to live our lives uh, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And uh, bless us now as we study together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to, um, we've got a lot of material to cover tonight. And uh, I want, first of all, uh, to consider some preliminary uh, considerations, a, a kind of overview, kind of big perspective view, a 36,000 feet view, uh, and um, let's walk through this, uh, this preliminary uh, study before we actually talk about the resurrection. Um, that the, the, state of, the study of eschatology reminds us that the present order of things must give way to a new and final order. Uh, we, are, we are in a stage of now, and there's a not yet. Um, and, and a part of the not yet has already perforated into the now. We, can, we, we see little anticipations uh, of uh, what is to come. And in one sense, uh, we are already delivered from... Uh, the present evil age, uh, Galatians 1.14, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will uh, of our God and Father. So there's this perspective in the New Testament that is always anticipatory of the dawning of the end of the new heavens and new earth. Um, Paul alludes to it, I've just alluded to it in the prayer, uh, within this perspective, a a kind of prophetic foreshortening. I mean, those of you who watch movies and stuff, sometimes there's a a moment in The Lord of the Rings when Bilbo and uh, they're looking down the road and the first sight of the the rider on the black horse and the camera camera focuses down the road and the the road seems to be coming up. Am I... 
gelling with anybody here? Uh, and, it's, and it's coming up towards you as if, as if it's right, right on top of you. Actually, it's far away. Uh, and there's something of that in the New Testament that the end sometimes will, you know, Paul will jump over a number of things that, that need to take place, but, but his eye is on the end. And uh, so, for example, at the end of Romans, or toward the end of Romans, he says, uh, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. As though, as though he can almost glimpse the dawn of, of the new age, of the, of the new heavens and new earth. That's the kind of perspective that Paul wants us to live in. And that has huge ramifications for the way we live our lives. That, that, that we live in anticipation of what is to come. As though it's almost here. You know, it's like children... Uh, you know, when you go on, vac- on a trip, are we there yet? You know, there's 300 miles to go, but are we there yet? Because they're, they're, they're anticipating being there. Uh, larger catechism, what is the communion in glory with Christ, which the, numbers, uh, which the members of the invisible church enjoy in this life? The members of the invisible church have communicated to them in this life the first fruits of glory with Christ. Uh, so, so the larger catechism is, is reflecting that, that there's a sense, sometimes we speak about um, worship, uh, uh, corporate worship on the Lord's Day, that we're gathered together in, in the visible church, but also with the invisible church, uh, the saints in glory. And, and sometimes, sometimes we exhort ourselves that, that it's not just us praising the name of the Lord Jesus, but the whole church here and there together praising uh, the Lord Jesus. Now that perspective was lost at the fall. Uh, I'm going to pass over this material fairly quickly here, but Adam and Eve, well Adam in the garden, uh, two trees, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, both of those trees signaling that there was something more that, than, than what was in Eden. Eden was a probation, but there was something more. What, what would have happened if Adam had obeyed? There would have been, at the very least, a confirmation of his present order, but, but in all probability, there would have been um, more than that. You know, Calvin, uh, Calvin speaks, uh, uses, uses the metaphor uh, in book one of the Institutes of uh, the Bible that, that, that you, can see, you can see God in creation. He reveals himself in creation, but you need, you need glasses, you need Contacts to, to bring that into focus. You need the spectacles of Scripture to bring that into focus. And sometimes we mistake, in a similar kind of way, we mistake the present order and, and forget that the present order of things is transient. It is passing away. Paul speaks about it in 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, so a perspective here that, that the world in which we live and the body in which we live is a transient existence. And there is an eternal 
existence awaiting us. Not just us, but, but creation itself, groaning and travailing in birth, uh, waiting for the renewal of all things. Uh, Romans 8, uh, 21, 22, 23, uh, somewhere around there. Uh, this was Demas's problem. Henceforth there is laid... F- uh, I've got a wrong... Yes, uh, I haven't. Uh, at the end of that uh, little quotation from, from, uh, from 2 Timothy 4, Demas, uh, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone. In love with this present world. But there's another world. Right? The present form of this world is passing uh, away. And so on. Well, drop down to point number two. Uh, and let's uh, let's pick up uh, let's pick up First Corinthians fifteen twenty through twenty eight twenty through twenty eight uh, the cosmic picture here uh, let me let me read this section of First Corinthians fifteen uh, about the resurrection but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, the last Adam. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. A very similar statement to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Well, five things that emerge from that, that, that's a big picture view of, of the end, including the resurrection and the renewal of all things. Five things. First of all, the reversal of death in Adam by the resurrection of Christ. So Paul is using this, this, um, this Adam-Christ parallel. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. As, as, as by one man came death, so by one man comes also the resurrection from the dead. The reversal of death in Adam. Secondly, the destruction of all of Christ's enemies... All dominion, authority, and power, including death. So what was the purpose of the cross? To spoil principalities and powers, to make a show of them openly triumphing over them in the cross. Uh, Colossians uh, 2.23, perhaps. Um, That's coming off the top of my head. the, the, uh, thirdly, the, 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 the handing over of his mediatorial kingdom to the Father. He has, uh, he has accomplished the, the task that he was assigned as the mediator. Uh, 
And, and he hands that accomplished, finished task, like a dossier, he hands it over to his father. Uh, fourthly, the son coming in subjection to the father, n- not, now that's a, that's a difficult concept to explain, there is no subordination of the son in terms of his Godhead to the Father. He is as much God as the Father is. There is no, well, what we call ontological subordination. This is a subordination in his role as the mediator. So in in theology, we distinguish between an ontological subordination. There There is no subordination in ontology in his being, in his being, he is God. He's equal with the Father. There is no subordination. But in his capacity as the mediator, in his economic role, as, as we sometimes say, there is this subordination of, of, of his subjection to the Father. He has, he has come to do the Father's will. And he is eternally incarnate and eternally mediator. And God then being manifested all in all. Um, perhaps one of the most difficult verses to fully explain, to be sure. But, but the ultimate end, the ultimate goal is the glory of God. God accomplishing his will and purpose. Now that's, that's a big picture. Um, we, we still need to come down from that sort of big perspective. What is, what is the goal here? Well, the goal is the renewal of the cosmos, to undo what Adam did, which involves resurrection, which involves God's people being, being redeemed in, in the state of glory, in the new heavens and, and new earth, and Jesus accomplishing all that he was assigned to do as the mediator. But, but now we want to look at it, come down to earth, and, and as we'll look at it in the, in the, in the in the small picture, what do we mean? What does the Bible mean by resurrection? And in particular, I asked the question about a bodily resurrection. Now let's uh, let's uh, let's pursue this um, in in uh, in some detail here. First of all, uh, let's pick up a verse in First Corinthians 15 and verse 52. Uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, um, Dr. Easterling, is he in the room? He was in the room. You know, every, every Easter uh, with the children, in the children's address, you have to be at Easter at the 8.30 service. If you've never been to the 8.30 service, you've missed this. But at the 8.30 service, at the children's address... We always have Dr. Eastling up in the balcony doing uh, Reveille, right? Uh, on the trumpet uh, as, as an anticipation. And I have all the children lying on the floor uh, playing dead, right? And they have to be calm and still and their eyes closed, not breathing. And hold, hold for a few seconds and then... And then, I can't remember how Reveille goes now, but... And, and Dr. Easting does that up in the balcony, and everybody rises, right, and stretches. And I say, that's what the resurrection morning is going to be like. It's great fun. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So this is, a, this is, not, uh, this is not apocalyptic language. This is not uh, simply a metaphor. This is Paul saying there is going to be a moment at the end of history as we know it when the trumpet will sound and dead bodies will, will arise in, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, let's pick up, uh, let's pick up um, the section in 1 Corinthians 15 before that. But someone will ask, uh, beginning at verse 30, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I think in Corinth, you, you remember earlier in Corinthians, in chapter 6, for example, Paul has, speaks almost the entire chapter about the importance of the body. Uh, the body is the Lord's and the Lord is for the body. The stomach is for the Lord and the Lord is for the stomach and so on. Um, I, I think in Corinth, th- there, there had, they had developed a mentality that it really didn't matter what you did in your body. What, what mattered was a kind of spiritual salvation and, and, and whatever you did with your body in terms of sex or food or, or whatever didn't really matter. And, and the Corinthians demonstrated that in the kinds of things that Paul has to address. You know, and, he, and he addresses some, some, some pretty nasty stuff in Corinth because they did not grasp the importance of redemption as having an effect upon the whole of our humanity. We're not just saved in spirit. We're not just saved in soul. Our bodies, our created bodies are also redeemed. And therefore it matters what you do with your body. Well, hence I think the Corinthians are asking because they have a low view of the body. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Uh, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Right? So uh, a seed, I mean, it, it, it looks dead and it dies and you put the seed in the ground. Uh, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Now, he's not saying, I mean, he's saying several things here. One one is that there's 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 continuity between this body and the resurrection body. Just as there's continuity between the seed that is sown and the plant or tree or bush or or flower or whatever it is, there's continuity. One grows from another. There's there's continuity. But there's also, well, there's also discontinuity. So that the bush doesn't look like the kernel. And, And I think he's saying here about the resurrection body, Uh, There'll be aspects of continuity and there'll be aspects of discontinuity. 
just as there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, not spiritual in the sense of non-material body, but spiritual uh, in, and, and perhaps we need to think here in terms of the Holy Spirit. A body fitted and suited for another kind of existence, a spiritual existence, a, a Holy Spirit. You could almost put a capital S here. A Holy Spirit-filled um, existence. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have, we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's ex- explore uh, this section of 1 uh, uh, Corinthians. And let me, let me spell out a number of things here. First of all, um, he, he appeals here to God's ordering in nature to answer the question, how? God has given a hint of resurrection in the new life which emerges from the death of the old. Seeds die, flowers are their resurrection life. So, so just as you see in the natural world, death followed by life. Seeds that look inert and dead, and life grows out of them. That's, that's the picture. It's a picture from the natural world of bodies that are dead and are buried, and, and, and how are those bodies going to be raised? Well, you see a little picture of it. You see a little glimpse of it in the natural world. Then he appeals further to the natural order to indicate that, all bo- that, that not all bodily existence is of the same kind. Now, um, he, he uses a, a, a subtle, uh, a subtle uh, use here of two, uh, of two uh, Greek words, alos and heteros. Uh, sometimes lost in English translation. So verse 39, all flesh, earthly bodies, is of the same genus, although there are different species. Verse 41, all heavenly bodies are of the same genus, but of different species. 
But earthly and heavenly bodies are a different genus. Well, what's he saying? I think, I think there's a summary of it uh, in verse 44. The present body is natural, right, using the words suchikon, and the future body is spiritual, pneumaticon. Now, that's, that's enlarged in Paul's language using, using uh, different metaphors. Uh, uses the metaphor of dishonorable and honorable, perishable and imperishable, uh, weak and powerful. And, and these are just metaphors. Um, what's the resurrection body going to be like? Well, there are going to be aspects of continuity. And one of the aspects, I think, of continuity that Paul is arguing for in 1 Corinthians 15 is that it's going to be, it's going to be material. It's going to be a, a body of flesh and, and blood, of bones and, and tissue. It's not, it's, not going to be a, 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 it's not going to be a kind of ghostly uh, existence. It's not going to be a purely spiritual existence. So, so th- there, is, there is continuity between the, the, the material of the seed that is sown and the material of the flower or plant that grows out of that seed. And sim- similarly, the, there's a kind of continuity between this body and the heavenly body. This body is weak. And it's weakened even further by the fall. And all of you know that. Uh, this, this, this body is frail. This, this body is falling apart. We're trying to hold this body together. But the body of the resurrection is a powerful body. It's a spiritual body. It's a, it's a pneumaticon body. It's a body fitted for a new environment. It's a body filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that you see, I think that you see little glimpses of it. The pattern here for our resurrection is Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' bodily resurrection is a pattern of our resurrection. We die in Christ, we are raised in Christ. And what is the pattern of Jesus' resurrection body? Well, there were, there were certainly areas of continuity. It was a physical body, you could touch it. But Mary Magdalene touched his body. Jesus says, so don't hold on to me. It, it wasn't the kind of body, you know, that you could put your hand through. Kind of spooky. It, it was a, f- a physical, tactile body. It was warm to the touch. And yet, th- there were times when they seemed to recognize him, and there were times, think of the two on the Emmaus Road. Why is it that they didn't recognize him until, until they broke bread? And then their, their eyes were opened. Now, there is, a, there is a hint in the Luke 24 passage that their eyes were kept from, from, from understanding him, from, from, from recognizing him. 
Perhaps there was some kind of sovereign element in that. But perhaps, too, that there was something, well, there was something different about him. And perhaps to some extent, that difference manifested himself, itself in the, in the way that he looked, perhaps. We, we see, you know, we see little hints of that in, in, a, in our own physical world. You can, tell when, you can tell when somebody is, you know, you say, you're looking well. Think of, uh, think of the incident of Jesus um, eating breakfast, eating fish uh, beside the Sea of Galilee in his resurrection body. Right? So there's a, there's a continuity. In a resurrection body, he eats. There are all kinds of consequences to eating. I mean, all kinds of consequences to eating. In a resurrection body. And I, and I think that, uh, that uh, Paul is saying there are, there are aspects here of continuity, but there are aspects here too of, well, of discontinuity. Jesus' body seemed to disappear on occasions. Uh, in the Emmaus Road incident, as soon as they recognized him, he disappeared. Then the next thing we know, he's up in Galilee. There's, there's, there's no hint that he's walked to Galilee. And, and, and don't be saying, well, but he's God, so he can do anything. We're talking here about a physical body. It's a resurrection body, but it's still a physical body. And, and bodies, well, in this existence, physical bodies are limited in time and space. We're, we can only exist in one zip code. And we have to obey certain laws of physics. I, I don't know. I, I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about it a little bit. Maybe, may, maybe we're, given, we're being given a kind of hint that the physical existence of this new existence has different properties, perhaps. He will transform, Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this resurrection body is pneumatic, spiritual. But not spiritual in the sense of non-material, but spiritual in the sense of fitted for this new environment. The resurrection body of Jesus bears his wounds. Thomas was asked to thrust his hand into his side, where, where the wound was. It can be touched, it eats food. They give testimony to Jesus' identity, but... Do they not also signal something of the nature of the resurrection life too? That's, that's what I'm suggesting here. Uh, Paul speaks of it in Romans 1 verse 4, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. As a result of his resurrection, he is now the Son of God in power. He's always the Son of God. He doesn't become the Son of God at his resurrection. 
but he becomes the son of God in power at the resurrection. There's something, there's something that happens to the physical identity, the humanity of Jesus that, that, is, that is transformed at the resurrection that makes it fit for this new existence. Um, now, what does that mean? I ask at the bottom of the page there, what does that mean exactly? And um, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that it's something we should think about. I think it's something that we can speculate within, within the bounds of Scripture. But I think Scripture is saying to us, what, what is our future existence going to be like? When the trumpet shall sound in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, the dead will be raised with new bodies, with a new resurrection body. And what will that body be like? Well, there'll be continuity. It'll be a physical body. Upright, standing on two feet. A head, arms, limbs, nose, eyes, ears. But fitted for a new existence. Maybe... There's sameness, and then there's something else. A body, first of all, free from sin, and all the confines and restrictions of sin, both physically, psychologically, emotionally. It's hard to imagine what that would be like. We we can't imagine what life without sin would be, in thought or word or deed. What would, what, would, what would our emotional lives be without sin? What would our psychological lives be without sin? And yet, discontinuity? This is, this is the seed and, 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 and the full blossom is yet is yet to be. Um, turning the page, no page numbers, difficult to keep track here. Top of the page it says, E, the resurrection body is glorious. The resurrection body is glorious. Glorious in the biblical sense of the word glory. Right, those of you who are in church on Sunday night, uh, Dr. Davis was exhorting us to Think about the glory of God and to be passionate about the glory of God. Well, there's also a glory about what God has made and there is a glory about what God has redeemed. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What are we... What are we anticipating? What are we looking forward to? The redemption of our bodies, Paul says. Right? So we mustn't think of, we mustn't think of the future state as floating on clouds, whatever that means. But it's a, it's a bodily existence. 
Um, the redemption of the body by resurrection in, in Romans 8.23 is an aspect of the, of the glorious liberty of the children of God, the liberty of the glory of the children of God. Now, what does that mean? What, what, what metaphors, what pictures do we have in Scripture that help us unpack that a little? Well, think, think of the transfiguration of Jesus. If our resurrection is modeled after the resurrection of Jesus, we are, we are resurrected in union with Christ. So his resurrection provides the template, the model for our resurrection. Think of what happened in the transfiguration. On the mountain when Peter uh, saw uh, Christ receiving, well as he puts it in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he received glory from God. Don't think of the transfiguration as the human nature of Jesus becoming divine, right? That, that never happens. It's not, it wasn't the divinization of his human nature. It was the glorification of his human nature. And in a sense, right, in a sense, right, there's something about the transfiguration that's unique, but, but in a sense, that's what's going to happen to our our human bodily existence, it's going to be glorified. It's going to be fitted with glory that reflects something of the resplendent majesty of God. There's going to be something, well, think of, think of the word glory. If you, if you go back to the Old Testament, kabod um, and, and doxa in Greek, they, they, those words signal the idea of weightiness. Uh, like they used to say in the 60s, you know, that's heavy. Meaning, meaning it was deep. Meaning it was significant. Well, there's going to be, there's going to be a significance to our resurrected body. It's, it's going to be a glorious body. And those who saw the transfiguration of Jesus were overwhelmed by the glory. Right? There's, there's an aspect of that that's unique to the identity of Christ. But there's an aspect of the transfiguration that is a reflection of what's going to happen to you and me. Right, the notions then of weightiness and worthiness and substantiality. Um, the resurrection body is identifiable. Uh, let me pick up the language of the Westminster Confession here. The dead will be raised with the self-same bodies and none other although with different qualities. You know, will we recognize each other in heaven? Yes, of course. There'll be continuity. Uh, 
Yes, there's change. There's change in this world. We, we grow from a child to an adolescent to an adult to maturity. Right? And, there's, and not all of that, not all of that is the fall. Right? Some of that is part of, part of God's plan in human nature. There's growth, there's development. Um, right there, so there's, there's, a certain, there's a certain discontinuity and there's a certain continuity. And then uh, on the very last page, uh, I ask the question, shall we recognize one another? Now, um, you know, that question arises sometimes because of a misconception of the nature of resurrection life as though the resurrection life was a bodiless existence. And as soon as you, as soon as you understand that the resurrection life is a, is a bodily existence, right, we, will be, we will be body and soul in the resurrection life as we are here, then... Um, then uh, just as the disciples recognized Jesus, they recognized, you know, what was it that they recognized? Did they recognize in the Emmaus Road when they'd broken bread? Was it his voice? Was it something about his gestures? Was it something about his hand movements? What, what was it exactly? And, 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 and something, something happened that they recognized who he was. And identified him as to as to his identity, and and so I think in uh, the resurrection uh, life uh, we will we will know each other and recognize um, each other. Um, uh, the importance of the doctrine. Uh, of the resurrection, and uh, part of the part of the problem, I think that the New Testament is wrestling with, but it's also part of the problem that sometimes we wrestle with, is the uh, inability to think in terms of the physicality of it. Um, that the that the future resurrection state is a bodily uh, is a bodily existence. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we, as we try to plumb the depths here of uh, our future existence, uh, that uh, as we ask ourselves, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? And uh, we recognize, Lord, that unless the Lord Jesus comes again, we too shall die and, and uh, our, our physical bodies will become inert and decompose, and yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, that body will be reformed into a new body, a resurrection body that will uh, arise uh, from our tombs and be reunited with uh, our souls and forever. Uh, be in your presence. 
Um, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what you have uh, prepared for those uh, that love you. And uh, we pray that uh, we might live our lives uh, in uh, such a manner as anticipates that here we have no continuing city, but we seek one which is to come, whose builder and maker is God. We thank you that just as creation uh, groans and travails in birth, waiting for the renewal of all things, so, so we too uh, groan inwardly, uh, longing for and looking for that, uh, that existence that is free from sin and free from uh, the curse of Adam and fitted for the glory uh, of the new heavens and new earth. And fill us, we pray, with that anticipation as we remind ourselves that all of this is in union and communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. And bless us, we pray, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.